You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 10, episode 7. I want to say it's going to be a Scotland special, but... Hopefully it's not, because otherwise folk will apply tuned in straight away. Um, I'm John, I'm your host for tonight, and joined by Scott, again from the Footy Blog Net. You alright? I'm good, thank you. Well, as good as you can be after watching two games from Scotland over the weekend. Yeah, my positivity is kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long did it last? Was it Friday night? I mentioned about positivity about, I think, 15 minutes into the game. It's yeah, kind of dwelled, yeah. Um, dwindled I, down somewhat. I... And we've got Tony back on as well, who's been on the last wee while as well. How are you doing, Tony? All right, thank you very much. Top of the league, just like Scotland. Happy. Go lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's the bizarre thing. <laughs> it is weird, because I think last week when we were talking, we were saying, aye, four points out of six would be a pretty decent achievement. Mm. But with typical Scotland fashion, we've got the, the points the wrong way around. Yeah, that that's it. I think it's just the way that they played. It's, I mean, we'll go into more discussion, but it's just, it's, it's um, hi, it's, it's, it's a tough watch. It really is. Aye. Well, I th- there's no time like the present. We may as well just talk about it straight away, get it over and done with, um, and hope we've still got some lasters after the first <laughs> 20 minutes or something like that. So, Friday, I, I think, aye, there's a fair bit of optimism ahead of the game until about an hour before kickoff, and it's one of those. You're looking at a lineup and you're thinking, right, okay, maybe McTominay's just number two because it's just to fit him in or something like that, or whatever. It's no because he's playing right back or centre back or whatever. And other things, and then you're like, aye, McTominay is playing centre back now. I, I hadn't realised that he'd supposedly played centre back before for Manu at times. I take it he yeah. must have been in the Europa League as opposed uh, to. No, he played, he played in the league against Did West Ham and they got battled. Uh... Um, so every uh, when I mentioned when I mentioned McTominay right back, I had a few Man United fans on Twitter tell me he was absolutely woeful, and it, it, you know after these two games we have to understand that he can't play centre back. Mm. It's not it's not his fault. He's just no. he's not a centre back. He's he was caught out of position. He was caught under the ball. He doesn't know how to play as the last line of defence. And, you know, Steve Clark should have probably realised that after the first game. But to give him the second game, I, I don't know. You know, I can see I can see reasoning behind it. Maybe it was, he thought it was an off night against uh, Israel. But that, that can't be the plan going forward. Um, I, said, I said to you to last week, I would have had Ross McCrory in there. And I, and I know people will say, oh, but they've got an important game for the under-21s. Well, the under-21s, all due respect are secondary to the senior side. And if we need that position filled from somebody who can play that position and we know knows the role, then I've got no problem playing a, a, an under-21 in that position. Um, and he's certainly, certainly done a better job than, than Scott McTominay, who, as I say, just doesn't understand the role. I remember watching a programme, I remember watching a programme... I must have been in primary school years and years ago, and it was there was a feature on Ajax and how they taught kids how to play football. And they had these games where every five minutes the coach would blow a whistle 
in they would all rotate positions. Mm-hmm. So they knew how to play left back, they knew how to play right back. It strengthened their left foot, their right foot. They played in midfield, they played in defence, played up front. And while they don't all do that to this day, you know, you won't find that their strikers play at right back, for instance. The defenders know how to play both positions, both sides of the pitch. They're they've got they've got both feet they can use. Scotland, as when you move a player around in the Scotland team, they seem to fall fall away. They don't understand. And when you change for even when you change formation, I don't think the formation was a particularly bad formation. I just think for some reason our midfield just got totally restricted. And the players who were playing out of position just couldn't play that position. And that's where it kind of all fell down. Yeah, we made Israel look far better than what they are. And I think as well for McTominay, it's unfair to play him in a role that he's not totally accustomed to. Probably not helped as well by the fact that playing Forrest in at wing-back, where his attacking threat was pretty much limited because of the way Israel played. Their full-backs were pretty high on the pitch. A number of other things, I Jack and McGregor, did, did we need them both? Are they both maybe... Bit too similar. Midfield, I think, is a problem for us <clears throat> in the sense that we seem to try and attack down the wings, specifically down Robertson's. Everything seemed to go down Robertson's side. And what, what I noticed in the last two games was our central midfield just kind of gets nullified into they get the ball and the playing passes into areas they think somebody should be attacking yeah. and then we end up losing the ball and then we're going back to square one um, if you think think back to the last couple of games when you think of Christie particularly or McGregor and set mid, they get the ball if you think of them they get, they've got the ball and they're running running with the ball but then the final passes don't come out whereas the goal we go against uh, the second game um, against well, my Czech Republic, sorry, it was a ball out to the wide and we crossed it in. <sighs> to me, the same midfield is just getting totally nullified because there's this obsession, everything has to go down the wings and Sam mid seems to get lost whether there's too many players in there and they don't know where to move or switch or what have you. And I, th- I think we need to try and sort that out. That to me is probably more of a concern in defence, if I'm being honest. Because folk keep on talking about how good, how great a midfield that we have in terms of whoever they pick is the first. Say it's, we're playing three in the middle there. I think most folk would tend to go with just now maybe, I don't know, Jack, McGinn and McGregor or McTominay, whatever. Mm. They're not really doing it. They're not doing it in a Scotland shot. No. It's just not. I mean, well, if it... I feel, go back to Friday, the only player I would say in it, I don't think any midfielders that could pass marks, but Christie, I suppose, was technically playing as a midfielder because he was playing off Dykes. Mm. So he was good in terms of, at least he's trying to be positive, get on the ball. But Scotland, and this is something that for years and years of watching Scotland, they, they can't string that many passes together and see in terms of movement off the ball, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, no. the, the thing is, the thing that really disappointed me was, so... Our kind of core midfield didn't play well against Israel. So he switches it around Steve Clark and brings in Fleck and McLean and a couple of others. And, and listen, people were going, why is he dropped McGregor? McGregor's not had a good game for Scotland in a while. So I don't I have a problem with him dropping him. But the disappointing thing is nobody then stood up and took that shot. 
there's no team of individuals. Yeah, there's no passion, there's no togetherness, there's no urgency. We, as a team, we let the other team find their way first. We seem to sit back and go, right, okay, you find out how you're going to play, and then we'll work against that. And by that time, they'll go up and score a goal, or we just, you know, fall apart. And that's the, you know, for Fleck, and I like Fleck, I like McLean, but for neither of them to really stake a claim and go, right, okay, this is my chance. Because that's the thing, the midfield should be a competition. It should be, you know, dog-eat-dog to get that shot. And it's not. They're all playing kind of mints, and that's you know. There's no competition. You know, there's no. There's there's just no. There's there's no. That should be the heartbeat of the team. I don't mind playing the ball out wide, but it should come from the, the central midfielders. And McLean for the second for the, for, sorry for the check goal. McLean just in their own half gives it away, and it's just a crazy pass. It's just it was it was never going to be on. Even, even probably with that though in terms of McLean giving it away, there's still plenty of time for us to defend the situation. Yeah, um, I say that about every goal. Yes, the person gives it away, and unless he passes back to the keeper and it gets taken off the keeper, there's always time to then, everybody gets back into position, everybody takes their time. There'll be phases of play of winning that ball back. But as a midfield, we should not be losing possession in that, in that area of the park in the way that we did. That was my only, my only point. I'm not blaming him for the goal. I'm just stating that it was a strange, bizarre decision. He, he didn't need to take that risk and there was no urgency from the team at all to then get back into position and nullify the threat. I think the the worrying thing for me going back to the midfield was the amount of time and space we gave both teams for crosses. Um, the, sorry, but at the Israel game, um, they had a couple good, decent crosses in. There was one in the second half where the boys cut a right across, and I think two of them have slid in and they've missed it. Um, you know, I mean, that, that that was the early warning sign. Um, their number 11 um, and their number two were, were causing us damage all game. But we never learned from it, because if you watch the game against the Czech Republic... The last 10, 15 minutes, they were just bombing crosses in and nobody was going to meet them. The, the last 10, 15 minutes, you would have thought it was like a defence versus attack training session. The amount of high balls were just going into the box. The, the, only, um, thing, the only thing I'll say about the, the last 10, 15 minutes, because I didn't notice that myself in the Czech game, is with having so many players represent their country for the first time, probably thinking this is their time to, to you know, when I was talking about stake, stake and claim the Scotland team, this is probably, possibly their one and only chance. They didn't have anything to lose by that point. And because we were so poor against Israel, I think we just wanted, and we, we, were, we lost that first goal, I think, you know, the Scotland team just wanted to hold on. And it's a kind of no-win situation in terms of they, they just could not afford to lose a goal. And then, unfortunately, sometimes that means you drop deeper and you give them a wee bit more of the ball. And I, I, I just think it's a kind of position where the Czech team just realised that they had to go hammer and tong to, to kind of show what they're, they're worth to, to the national team. You were the better team all night long. Yeah. The Czech Republic. You, you would never have mm. thought that they'd only had 
what, 24, four hour, uh, 48 hours notice to, 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 to come and put a team together. Uh, one training session. That's all they had. One training session. Looked like an under eighteen manager. It looked like it was us that had the one training session together. Uh, but we, I said this before, with before the game or right at the start of the game, we hate that kind of pressure. See, mm. everything's expected of us. Scotland hate that, and for some reason, we have the mentality just to crumble within ourselves. It's, it's. We would prefer to play the Czechs or any team at their strongest than that situation. Yeah, but was it you mentioned on Twitter last night that it looked like we were playing, they were scared in terms of playing against someone like Ned Ved and Collar, and I think Karad Talat replied with the fact that I think we'd struggle against them still, just if they were yeah. playing. Um, <laughs> just, it's just so frustrating, though, because as I say, I was like optimistic, positive about it before last week. I mean, the Israel game in particular, we've obviously got to play them again next month. We created next to nothing. And with no confidence. What did we create? Like, absolutely. I know we've got four points. That's where the midfield comes in. Yeah, four points, yeah. We've got four points, but we've not got any confidence from it. That's the thing. So we're going to probably go to a situation where we play Israel in the playoffs and not fancy our chances, where if we'd have seen them off, we'd have been better off. I mean, does he persist? Do you think he'll persist with the three at the back? Or do you think he'll go right? It's, I, I, I think he'll go back to four in the playoff. Yeah, he's more used to that as well when he's at Kamarnik. It was four at the back. He did he did try and play three at times. But yeah, that was certainly his preferred style and where they got most of their points from at the end. We should say, though, Lyndon Dykes was a big positive. I thought both yeah. games uh, linked up the play nicely, showed some good touches. And especially the Israel game, I thought he was very isolated. But even still, we managed to get involved and and maybe win cheap fills that we don't normally get. Um, so that's a positive. We've got to look at that. He's a big positive. He could potentially be our number nine for a while. And Ideally, if we were to play two up front, we'd have Lee Griffiths back in some kind of form or some striker playing beside him. Because um, I think he would thrive with a striker think, beside him. I think McBurney could actually play a deeper, deeper role with him up top. Um, I'd be interested to see how that would work out. But it was very pleasing to see Dykes almost relishing playing up front by himself, getting himself about, winning those fouls, holding the ball up. Um, he took his goal well. He gambled. There was a good ball in from Palmer, and it all worked out for us. Um, so no, I think I, I kind of expected it from Dykes. You know, when I, I wrote about him playing for, hopefully playing for Scotland, I said every time he's had to, it was a bit like Andy Robertson, Anytime a challenge has been raised to Lyndon Dykes in his club career, he's met he's met that challenge head on and progressed. And it's just it's again it's just natural to him that the Scotland game he raised like he raised another level. I think. Yeah, no idea. I I I I don't think Clark will go with to our front. I think Dykes will be a one man. The reason being is I think he's going to try and make as many midfielders happy as possible by playing five in midfield. I think he'll go for 4-5-1. That, that's what I think. I think he's got so many midfielders to pick from. And also, what, how he's going to deal with Tierney and Robertson if he goes with a four. Which I think he will go with a four, but it'll be interesting to see how he does it. I personally would probably have Robertson in the left and Tierney in the right. I don't mind Tierney in the right. I've seen him in the right with Celtic and he's been all right. 
Yeah, um, Tierney said always know that Kieran's playing there, and uh, I don't know. I just it's a very difficult situation, right? Because he's, you're he's in that situation that whereby we're trying to play our best players, right? But you need to play your best system, and ideally, you'd want to play your players in the correct position. Unfortunately, I think you maybe can't play the two of them in the team because it takes away the mm. it takes away the threat of Andy Robertson. I mean, Andy Robertson's just not the same player, especially playing a wing as a wing back. He wants to be playing a four, ideally with someone ahead of him that he can overlap. But what the squads, the last two games, we never really had any wingers in the squad apart from Forrest. Who else was there? Forrest. Um, no, there's maybe other guys that can else. play there, but potentially, hopefully, maybe Ryan Fraser's back for next month. Um, though he's got a, a bad habit, I think we touched on it last week, a pull out squads. Um, I think, again, though, if, if we go to like a four man midfield, right, you've got two sir, mid positions between Jack, McGinn, McGregor, Christie, McLean, Fleck, and Armstrong. You know, so th- that's why I think he's tried to go with this three, five, three, sorry, three, two, three, one kind of formation. <laughs> yeah. I know, I'll get myself all confused. I've got, you know, because he's trying well, to fit as many of the midfielders play, as he last can. Last you had us playing without a keeper. I tell you what, what a good decision that would have been. Well, Marshall, Marshall <laughs> was superior you know I mean? last night. Power play, that's what we should have done. That'd have confused the Czech Republic. Power play? Power play, yes. Aye, ice hockey style. Not have a keeper, aye. Or just getting to ask that with him. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that genuinely, I do think he is trying to think of a way to try and get as many, his core squad, which is the midfielders, in there. Yeah. And that's where I think he might go. Um, with that, because... Defensively, I mean, I heard Willie Miller talking about the fact that he hated playing in a back three. And I'm always kind of worrying when you see a midfielder go back into the set half position. But struggling for set half, really. I mean, we are really struggling, unless we put Tierney as, as part of that three as well. Um, to, to be honest, Dykes, I think. Get out. No, I was just going to say, Dykes has basically got um, the striking position sorted. I can't see them playing Forrest up front by himself. Um, but I can't see them doing Patterson up there with them either. So I think Dykes, Dykes has got that sorted. It's going to be the midfield. It's going to be the, the main area. I think Tilde would be fine in a three. I just don't think, I think McTominay's mm. the, the one that you'd have to take out and replace. But I think just because of how important the game is, he will go back to a four. And I think as a Scotland manager, sometimes you've got to make decisions when it comes to certain positions and certain players. And you say, right, well, Robertson's probably going to start more games and it's up to Tierney whenever he gets a chance to then do it. I've got no problem with him playing it right back either, to be honest. I know he's hummed and hawed and said that he's, you know, it's not his favourite position, but He's the kind of boy that will still play there. As long as he's playing, mm. I think he'll play there. And I think he's smart enough that he'll do a decent job. But I think the problem is, for him to, to, to play there, you have to drop Palmer, who looked fine, and one of our better players against Palmer's done well in the last couple of times I've seen him. I'm tearing in the right, though. I think just takes his greatest asset out of his game because he's so good at getting forward and getting crosses in the box. He's in a situation he's going to have to cut back all the time. 
hundred percent. But if he's he's not gonna you know, you've got to make a decision on who's who's gonna play at left back, is he gonna drop his captain? He's not going to do that. But so it's a difficult one. It's I suppose we're talking about it. It's difficult. Then it's obviously difficult for Steve mm-hmm. Clark, but he's getting paid for it. So the midfield, I think he will <laughs> for the majority of the time start with three central midfielders, um, and then have probably two wide men. Not not just because he's got so many of them, because he's got a lack of options up front, and because he's probably pragmatic, they wants to build a kind of core strength and stop conceding, although we've not seen that yet. But if, if that's to work, either McGinn, McTominay, McGregor, somebody has to be pushing up forward. You know, probably Christie is the main one at the moment to keep, but they have to make sure that they get them centrally in the game more often than they have been, because we are leaving our striker exposed uh, badly up front by himself. The wingers are probably too wide at times and mm-hmm. you've got to work out ways of actually connecting the full team and that's what's probably one of the hardest things and I've been a wee bit surprised that we've not progressed as much as I would have hoped under Steve Clark yet in, the te- in terms of I would have thought that the unity of the team would be stronger than it was and it would be more connected and more balanced than what it actually has been as well. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to put... He's obviously, the positive spin is getting put about in terms of our five games unbeaten, but it's not as if we've played particularly great mm-hmm. opposition. The thing as well about Steve Clark with Kamaric, you always knew you're in for a game. It's going to be hard to beat, competitive. I don't see that in the Scotland team. I don't see that almost up and at him style or, like, getting stuck in. It's... You know, the a- likes of last night against Czech Republic... John Fleck, his, he was very good at pointing out to other folk what they should be doing. I didn't see him doing much himself. Everyone seems to be passing the buck, as opposed to take responsibility for your own role. Well, I think John I... Fleck's probably grown up watching Barry Ferguson too much in certain aspects. But the, the, the problem the problem is, I think, for Steve Clark in that sense, is that it's very difficult to, at international level, especially with Scotland for the last 20 years not getting to anything to actually create that kind of club-like atmosphere at an international level. I don't think I don't think the players are fully on board with it, it, international football. And I think that's the, the thing. I think he created a hunger at Kilmarnock that he's struggling to recreate in Scotland because he's not got a lot of time with the players. Kilmarnock, they would be hungry in every challenge, they would have a bit of energy, they would be defensively solid and to recreate that is obviously a, a lot harder and where you're only seeing the players. So so maybe COVID might help because we're going to have what, three games in a week next uh, next month. So maybe, you know, that can, but you know that players are going to just pull out and that's the other issue. You, you don't know who you've got from one game to the next. Yeah, no, I think last time we were speaking, I, I kind of said about a bit of Lake Madrid, about that kind of way they play. And I feel like we kind of play that way really badly. You know, like we, we try and hit teams on the counter-attack. We don't, we don't seem to put pressure on teams. We don't push up. We seem to like let teams come at us and then we try and hit them in the break and then see what happens. In the same sense, we don't 
we're not ruthless enough, you know, with the tackles. We seem to just let people go past us while still try defend. Um, it's it's just bizarre. And I think that's why, as we Scotland fans, the, the, we watch games and there's, there's not that much attacking. It's very much defend, defend, but it's not like heroic defending. It's just it's hard it's, it's hard watch because they should be doing basic stuff, but they're not doing it. But they're trying to defend, but it's not great. And it's just, I mean, I think we were on um, Twitter last, not Twitter last night, we were on WhatsApp, when a, a man goes through uh, on goal one-on-one, um, Christy, and you're shout, screaming pass, pass to McGregor. And I, th- I thought he just got the frights in him because he was that far up the park by this point and there was nobody around him because I feel as if we're told just defend, especially if we take a lead. The two games, I mean, as soon as we went one go up, I was like, retreat, retreat. And I don't know, maybe we need to change the whole kind of mindset as to how we approach games, like pushing up a wee bit further. I, I don't know, because what is it the minute's not working? Yeah, the baffling thing is, well, is these players are playing well for our clubs. They've, when they're playing for our clubs, they've got total confidence. They turn, they put on that bloody blue jersey, and it's like totally different players. Well, is it, think about is it confidence in or you, you, passion? Is it passion? But like, is it that they're not as bored about playing for Scotland? Ah, I, I think, think it's partly, confidence yeah. as well. I, I, I think confidence. I, I think confidence is a big thing because, again, going back to what I just said there, you've got Robertson who attacks constantly at Liverpool. You've got all this, the Celtic players who genuinely, I'd say the majority of the games that they play, if you look at Forrest, Christie, McGregor, they're constantly on the attack, you know? Um, I, I just think me- mentally, and maybe there's a mindset that we're not great, we'll just see what we can do and let's see what we can pull out a result or not. I generally do think that's what happens when they go into these games. The mindset is defeated straight away. I think I think it's probably a lot of different factors. Two of which are the mindset is, you know, raw, you know, and it's hard to change that mindset after twenty years of not qualifying for a tournament, for disappointing performance after disappointing performance. A kind of rot is set in, um, but it also is a probably a bit of dread and a bit of, you know, maybe maybe they don't lack passion, but they, they, they dread going to play for Scotland. There's no happiness to it. There's no relief. They're doing well at their clubs and then they know they're going to play for Scotland and it's going to be, a, a, it's, going to, it's going to be whatever happens, they're going to have to fight for it. And that's, you know, it's a bit of a downer playing for Scotland. But, you know, there's ways around that. I can never understand, especially when we had fans at Hamden, we should be telling our players, like, go in, first, ten, first five minutes, make sure somebody puts a, a, a marker down and smashes somebody. Not, no, not, a, not a red card challenge type of way, but, you know, just get the crowd up straight away. Show that there's some sort of desire within the team straight away you've got the so you, then you've got the fans in on side and then the other team start to think oh wait there what's happening here and then you start attacking them these sort of things should be happening you know you, you we have to start 
trying to, you know, with our midfield, we should try and start dictating things. And we don't. We just sit back, let the other team put a, get a foothold in the game, and then we're playing catch-up constantly. And it's these wee kind of game management sessions that's, that we should be instilling within our players during training leading up to games. You know, make sure you win the first challenge. Make sure you're you're going to beat your opposition number every single time that you can. I don't think it, I don't think it's drilled into them that they should be winning their individual battles yeah. against the opposition. I, yeah, I agree with that. To me, there's something serious along with the Scottish setup because let's be honest about it. This what we've witnessed over the last couple of nights isn't it a new thing. If you look back, even the last twenty years, we've had these results constantly. If you think back to us just beating Gibraltar home three one, you know, remember when they pulled it back to one each, uh, the last minute goal against Liechtenstein under Craig that Levine. One. That was, yeah, was the was, sixth yeah. minute injury time. Felt like a loss. Yeah, felt like a win. Yeah, I mean, even going as far back as with the tweet draw with the Faroe Islands. Yeah. So, I mean, there's something fundamentally changes with players as soon as they go into the Scotland setup, and so, somewhere along the line, something has to be looked at to say, listen, what is going on? Because since that time, we've had Northern Ireland like have a squad. I would say. Not anywhere near as good as ours. Pull out results. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. On, on paper, yeah. Obviously, result wise, they've been far better than us with regards to qualifying and getting results. But on, on paper, you would look at that squad and think, we, should, we would be them, surely, you know? But deep down, you know, we wouldn't. And you also look at the fact the size of their population to ours. And then they're producing results like that. And I know they had a they had a name against Norway recently, but up until maybe the last couple of games, they were in a far healthier state than what we've been. And yeah. that's where I don't understand how the progressive Scottish teams have never solved this. And it, it doesn't seem to be looking like we're going anywhere quick either. It's going to be sorted in the next tournament. Aye, let's but, hope we have a chance to get a nightmare against Norway, because the way it's looking, we'll not even get past Israel. Aye. And this seems to have been, like, before these games, taken for granted, oh, aye, it's a shooty in that we're mm. going to get past Israel. But uh, it all starts, to see, be honest, let, let's put it all out there. It all starts with SFA, and it all starts with our kids. There is no structure mm. within our youth game that really suggests that we're getting smarter Footballers, in a sense, we haven't got players who are, are versatile enough. We haven't got players who are confident enough. We, had, you know, when Billy Gilmore went to Chelsea at sixteen, that was the best thing he could have done because he will learn more there than he would play for Rangers in the first team at seventeen, eighteen. And that's that. We've got to look at why that is. And what's what's um, Malcolm McKay doing? What, what's that? Project that he was, Project Brave or yeah, Brave. I... What what is that? What what's what's happened? How's you know you can't just point at one player going to Chelsea and say you know, that shows that we're changing. It's 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 not changing, and that's proved last night when our players in the last couple of games can't physically play in different positions, and we should 
we should know that they can't do that and stick away from actually playing them in those positions and catch, letting them get caught out. We have to to teach our, our young kids. And I've said this. I've said this for years, and I wish I'd started my own team. But we should be teaching them dietary stuff from get go. We should be playing with the ball right from the start. Passing has to be one of the most ideal techniques. But also keep in mind how good Scotland have always been at producing wingers and centre backs and doing. We should always be looking at still doing that, but but making it further into a regime where we these players can come out with the ball and stuff like that. There's not enough for all that we've got good young players coming through. There's not enough to suggest that they're going to be any different. Billy Gilmore yeah. in this current Scotland setup, how's he going to play? He's not going to play the way he's playing for Chelsea because we're not going to give him the ball enough. The problem he'll have as well is the usual expectation around a youngster that he's going to save the day, like before when yeah. we had Darren Fletcher coming yeah. in, different things like that. Interestingly, the diet thing, going back to like Ryan Fraser, who I spoke about earlier, he spoke quite a bit about when he went, first went down to Bournemouth in terms of diet, and Bournemouth asked him what he was eating. On a reg- what, what did he tend to eat and all that? He was still, as a professional footballer, getting your dominoes two for Tuesday and stuff like that. <laughs> Just... Well, look at Lee Griffiths during lockdown. He was caught having a chippy out of cast milk. Well, there was that thing when Ronnie Dyler took over the Celtic, wasn't there? Uh, well, that, Chris before... Commons had that big. I mean, Chris Commons was one of the ones that really get saying a singled out. They had the whole regime. He said in the first day he went into the facility and they were all sitting down in chips. Before he that, he, he, he just couldn't believe it. Before that, it was Paul Le Guin at Rangers. Oh, yeah, you know, and they keep on coming up against that same mentality where it's, uh, but this is what before for us, and you're like, yeah. But not in Europe, not internationally. This is where you're making mistakes. We need to. I think we've become more analytical, which is great. I think that that has helped. Um, I think bridge gaps with smaller teams in the Scottish Premiership. But with that, we also have to look at the kind of science behind injuries and diet, and you know we have to be super professional because every other nation is. Yeah, it doesn't help as well when doesn't help as well when McDonald's sponsored kids football. Aye, uh, <laughs> yeah. like that. Uh, I mean, e- even when you watch Scotland play against all these nations, no matter what nation it is, they always seem to have a better first touch than us. Have you yeah. ever noticed that, like the first touch, and they don't seem to panic? Do you see that um, against the Czech Republic where the goalkeeper came out, and he, he it was like a terrible back. Pass, and he actually just kind of done a keepy uppy, brought it down, and then hit a first time to the defender on the right. Now, if that had been us, oh God, only knows what would have happened. They either went into row Z, or they went out for a corner or something. We just don't have that composure that the other countries do, and I don't know where we lost it. If I'm being honest, because we used to have it back in the day, but somewhere along the line, we've totally lost it. And every other country we play against looks like they can do the wee triangles around us and everything. I was thinking as well, watching the game last night, see if you were a kid and you're looking at that team, who would you be going, I want to be him at the park when I'm playing football? Uh, But that's it. They're not watching Scotland. I don't think the kids are watching Scotland. I think they're watching France. They're watching 
uh, Brazil, Portugal, are, are, are they going to be watching Scotland? Because as you say, who are they, mm. they going to look up to and say, oh yeah, I want to play like Scott McTominay at the back who has no idea really what's happening. And it's a shame because I think Scott McTominay in midfield could be our best player. It's just that we've not found the system that's really going to let them thrive yet. Um, but, you know, I don't even mind McDonald sponsoring the kids thing. As long as the SFA can be transparent and show where that money goes, that actually is teaching them how to eat properly. That, that actually is showing that they are coaching them in a way that's structured and it's going to take us somewhere. And this is why I'm, I'm excited that more of our young players are deciding, you know what, I'm going to go abroad. Brian Gould, I always thought it wasn't the sensation that we were all hoping for at Sporting Lisbon. But I bet you he, as a man and as an athlete, is much better off for going to Portugal when he did uh, George Johnston's um, at Feyenoord. In Holland, you've got the boy. Fraser Hornby at Reims. Fraser Hornby at Reims. And he was at Belgium for on on loan last year. You had uh, Cortrick. So it was Cortrick he was at, wasn't it? On loan. Right. So when I did a a, a charity walk thing, we went to Cortrick. We walked through Belgium to get to to Leo. And we had lunch with the footballers. The first team, right? So this was seven, eight years ago, right? Maybe even further back. That was the best lunch, one of the best lunches I've ever had. And that was with, that's just their usual lunch. And it was just chicken, rice and salad. And it was just phenomenal, but they all ate together. They all had that, but it showed the, the dietary requirements that is needed. Yeah. Well, let's hope Arden Hickey, he's on the verge of moving to yeah, Bologna. By all Bologna, accounts, that's pretty much a done deal. And, and we need to play as well that Bologna decide to play him as a right-back and no a left-back. <laughs> um, so if you're listening to this, Bologna manager, please. <laughs> Since I'm a high level, Too many left-backs. So it is, aye, because he had the COVID recently, didn't he? Mm-hmm. A yeah. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. Was there something else you were going to mention, Scott? That's moved it was... Is it Lorene? I, I don't know how to pronounce his second name. Is it NEC Breda? He's just joined. Just joined. He was, number, he was number 10 from uh, the under-21s tonight. He was on the bench. I can't remember where he's joined from. It's just slipping my mind. Italian-sounding surname. I had a look at their team, the team earlier, the under-21s, because they won 1-0 against Lithuania. Yeah, I've seen that. It's a good goal the boy scored. I've seen the goal they scored. It was a good I like Campbell. I like yeah, I, I think Campbell's going to be a really good player as well. Let me find out that team. Jack Copper's still away as well, bro, isn't he? Yeah. Um, Malaga. Al- Malaga. Is he still Hattie. in Spain? I think he, he is in Spain. I think he moved, though, maybe. Within Spain to someone else. Somewhere else. Uh, yeah, Louis Fiorini. Louis Fiorini. I don't know. If, that's probably murdered his surname. Uh, I'm sure he's just joined NEC Breda. Uh, okay. I think it may just be on loan or just is it Man City? Was that? Could be interesting. I seen McCrory start at right back for under twenty one tonight. He was a captain. Yeah, that annoyed me a wee bit. Uh-huh. Only because he should be playing centre back in terms of if we're going, if we're really wanting to promote and push players 
he's closest, I think, to the senior side. So play him in a position that he's going to benefit the senior side. They're all right back. We need a right back as well. But he's, I think he's better in the middle. Whether it's the midfield, I think it'd be hard for him to get in. Yeah, that boy plays for Man City. I think he's on loan at NEC Breda. And as well, um, he got McCrory in the team at straight away given the versatility because he can play centre-back, right-back, centre-mid. Well, exactly. Information yeah. in-game, be a bit more flexible with systems as opposed to this is a system will be rigid to this system. And that's what we needed. We, we needed a wee bit extra versatility. Um, it, it, to be fair, it could kill a footballer if he's too versatile. But at the same time, if he's smart enough and he works hard enough at it, he will find his position and it's good to have that in his locker. But if you've concentrated them on, on that from a young age, then it doesn't kill them. You know, you look at Holland and, you know, I was looking at Van de Beek has just joined uh, Manchester United and he can play 10, he can play 8, he can play 6. So he's not going to... People are saying, oh, will we get into the Man United team? Yes, because we never have a gap that he's mm-hmm. filled. He'll fill it. It yeah. doesn't matter where it's going to be. So if Pogba and Fernandes are fully fit, then that's fine. He'll sit back. It's he'll, be the, he'll be the Dutch John O'Shea. That's what he'll be. <laughs> Dutch John O'Shea, yeah. yeah. What's a name? I'm not sure that's a claim that he wants. But that's what John O'Shea was, wasn't he? Yeah. He'd play him a set a half, they played him a right back, they played him a left back, they played him in midfield, he even played in goals for like <laughs> ten minutes against somebody. And those know? players those players Fletcher was the same, uh, Phil Neville, those players are invaluable to Sir Alex Ferguson. He loved mm. those kind of players. They may yeah. not be the, the the number seven game changer of a Beckham Cantona Ronaldo. But in big games he would pick these players and he'd, mm. he would know he could pick them and put them in different positions and they would be solid for the team. We had enough for Scotland chat, or should we move on? I'm trying to think if we've missed anything out. Um, there are positives, we think, that we've discovered. I think... These two games. Not discovered, but I think Robertson played a better game against the Czechs, and hopefully yeah. he could carry that on. Um, I, See, think I, thought Robertson, I thought Robertson had above a nightmare against the Czechs. I I I, 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 think, he was off constantly. I think the second half... It was causing them a lot more problems and it just seemed a bit more settled for me. I think you'd mentioned on WhatsApp last night, Tony, that um, we were probably the Czechs were like doubling up on Robertson, so Palmer was getting more space. So that probably didn't help as well. But he was certainly better last night. Um, you, could, you could say for most of the team they, they didn't perform to what they're normally capable of. I thought Cooper did all right as well. I think we're still a bit unsure on him. I think he he did all right. I, I think um, hopefully he does well in the Premier League with Leeds. Um, Marshall, we've touched on. We needed him in the, the game. Mm. So, um, But yeah, I think that's about it. I think we've got the positives out the road. Palmer, same with Palmer. I thought Palmer was far better than Forrest was. Oh, I definitely uh, yeah. did that role. He'd done really well. Um, I thought Christie was good. He took his penalties well, two different penalties, which is good to see. Uh, you're not doing the same penalty all the time. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad Steve Clark's brought in the, the Rangers penalty winning coach because uh, <laughs> we certainly need that kind of uh, luck, shall we say. We'll just need, keep, need to keep on getting penalties in every game to give you a chance of, <laughs> of winning. But yeah, we've got we've got the game next month. Massive game. 
if they can't get up for that, then there's a big problem. So Aye. we shall move on. Um, I think we have to move on to. Well, the whole crazy situation of fans returning, there's folk for it, folk against it. Obviously, there's been the announcement today that Aberdeen are going to be allowed 300 fans. Uh, I'd imagine Ross County is the same. I've not seen the number that was given for Ross County. 400, I heard. Ross County had 400. 400, right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a full crowd. Um, I'm working it on. But aye, sensible, sensible thing. I think something I'm talking more about it. But the sensible thing I know I've seen with Aberdeen is it's only people that are in Aberdeen or Aberdeen so they can get tickets, which makes sense because if you're doing a trial and something does happen, there's any kind of outbreak, it doesn't travel too far, doesn't travel all over the country. So it will be good. So are, they, are, they, are these going to be season ticket holders, I presume? Yes, yeah, it will be. So there's a ballot basically. If you stay in that area, you can come for a ballot um, if you want to. Yeah, I can understand. I can understand why people's eyebrows were raised when it was the two games that featured both Aberdeen and Celtic. Um, but I think we also have to remember that there's current lockdowns in Renfrewshire and Glasgow, so that's obviously going to mean that Rangers and Marin games at home are a no-no. Um, out of Liked Motherwell to, to get a shot because they're fan owned and all the rest, but, but I don't know if they applied. So, you know, it all goes down to who applies as well. Um, I, I can understand the raised eyebrows, but if they're the only two that applied that haven't got any restrictions on them, then I've got no, I, I've got no issues. Listen, I weren't fans in football stadiums, so I've got I had no issues anyway with whoever it was. I can see. It, it, by having the, the games that involved Aberdeen and Celtic, you are going to have people saying, "Oh, but they broke down, they broke the rules." So that was always going to be a hard one to kind of get away from in terms of the social media aspect of PR. Um, but <sighs> Ross County is a, is the hardest one because they have to make sure, they have to be vigilant that there's nobody in there with a Celtic scarf or a Celtic strip or anything like that, that the tickets don't get sold. Because I'm sure a Celtic fan will pay a lot of money for, for that, that that opportunity to go to a game for the first time this season. So that'll be an interesting one to see what happens and if they can securely have all those fans being Ross County fans. I would imagine... I would... It would be similar to what Aberdeen are probably do, where it would be season ticket holders. I don't know how many season tickets Ross County have, maybe a couple of thousand possibly. So I would imagine they could do that, and when they get a ticket, may have to, I don't know, maybe give details, name, address, and maybe have to show ID or something when they turn up. That would make um, sense, the ID, I, potentially. And showing ID is not something new. I mean, I, I know, I don't know if they still do it at Celtic, but I know they used to, when you used to be a season ticket holder, you used to have your photograph on the, the season ticket book. Um, so I would imagine that's what they'll probably do. They'll ha- you'll have to bring some sort of ID or something to say who you are, um, to let you into the ground. And, and also is... as well, sim- simply for track and trace as well, surely. It's interesting, but... I was checking Ross County's social media and I've actually not seen them make any announcement, the fact that they are having... Oh no, wait a minute, six hours ago there was, so they, what have they said about it? So they had Aberdeen statement. Aye, so they've got 300 fans as well. Oh, 300, sorry. Um, aye, and obviously, yeah, season tight holders. Uh, 
Yeah, that's about it, really. No, say the track and trace system is followed. So whether they're going to do something I, or attendance, once you get there to confirm it as a season ticket holder, you would hope that's the case. Mm. You always have to remember this is the SPFL we're talking about, so they, they kind of pe- rush things quicker than sometimes they can actually carry out things. I don't know if you've had it up there, but down here there was a non-league team. Um, they had 400 fans, 450 fans, um, and they never done any social distancing and something like 85 of them are now got COVID. None of the non-leagues are allowed to start up here yet. Uh, um, but I'm just thinking even in the sense of monitoring it, making sure it's safe when you're in the stadium. Um, I've heard, heard things like um, they've done it, they, was it the, I'm trying to remember now, was it Chelsea and somebody um, pre-season down here? Yeah, where they basically the the end seats were all basically empty, um, and it was like two seat, two. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of thing. It's kind of similar. They're all going to be spread out. They all have to mm. wear masks. They all have to keep their masks on if they're going to the toilet. Um, the kind of access has to be allowed in terms of free access to get in, get out your seats and into the toilets area. Um, washing your hands as soon as you kind of leave a, a certain area of the of the uh, terracing and stuff. So, they better have that sorted. It's, uh, how does that work? Like a half time? Do they let certain areas go down for something to eat, or you need to put up your hand? <laughs> they used to do Celtic Park. Celtic Park. They used to come up with like fifteen minutes to go. It used to come up on the big screen. Big screen used to say, "Use your heat, beat the stampede," and they used to like be your fifteen-minute warning to go and get but something surely, to eat. Surely, for for certain games, this is probably where innovation should come into, especially these two games where you just order. You've got an app, and you want to buy in a bottle. You order it. It gets left at a table at the end of your row, and you go and collect it. You know, it, it, that's what you, you, that's how you, you're probably best doing it, and rather than everybody getting up at the same time, because mm. they, they won't allow that. So you've got to p- probably have it in such a way where it becomes as socially distant and as kind of contactless as possible. Uh, but Scottish football's answer to that is just order 10 pies, six Capri Suns, <laughs> first come, first serve. <laughs> They'll probably still run out of food. Uh, <laughs> food. Even that mountain. So other news that I've seen from this week, we met, you mentioned about the, the non-leagues. So the Lowland League, they are going to be starting again on the 10th of October. So a full 32-game season. Um, they are planning to have and the draw for the Soccer Shop Challenge Cup was the other day and brought out an absolute belted of a tie. So obviously that's popped out, but they've got a repeat of the Scottish Cup tie they had last season with Kelty, which is the most difficult draw you could have got. Um, so a good tie there. But yeah, 10th of October. So at least they've got a date set in stone. And we get news today about the West of Scotland League, which is starting for the first season this year. And it, it, it's already confusing enough in terms of the amount of changes and all that that there's been but now the, the tier 6 is going to have two sections of 10 each section of 10 will play each other home and away and then you will play 
the teams from the other section once, either home and away. So it'll be a 28-game season. Now, you would think maybe the fact there's two sections, maybe what they would do is they would have, like, the winner of each section play each other for the final or something like that. No, it's going to be in a points basis still. So you're going to have a situation where by you, you could get the luck of the draw and play maybe the easier teams away from home, the more difficult teams at home, for example, then someone wins the league, but will play everyone twice. Is there no seeding or anything? Or is it just it's the, the it, draw? No, it's based on the top 10 from last year, so there is some kind of seeding. Um, but so basically, it's really about peaking at the right time. So essentially, you just want to be in the mix for the last 10 games of the season? Well, I think the league's still going to be decided over 28 games, though. So you're, it's going to be decided over the accumulative total, as but opposed sure, to just the... the but sure, that's what I'm saying. So you, but really, it's going to be keeping yourself in the mix for the last 10 games and then have a good run in those last 10 games against different opposition, because then you can really collect all, all, all your points and hope the other teams slip up. I mean, I don't even know whether they'll manage to play 28 games anyway, so... Oh, yeah, that's the... That, that, that's my, that was yeah. my uh, kind of question mark on it. But, yeah, Talbot have been basically putting a, a section where Glens, Robert Meadow, Coburnie, uh, Clyde Bank, Largs, Ben Burb, Rob Roy, Bonington and Blantyre, Victoria. So they miss out on their derby against Cumnock in terms of playing them home and away. And they miss out against uh, Darvo as well, who are obviously tipped to do well this season. So... So be interesting. Is, is this the one? Is, is this the one? Arthur is in. Arthur in this. Aye, but they're in. Uh, Trying to remember. If, I think they're in the low. They're in. Yeah. They're the in low. tier seven. Yeah. Um, with that, it's expected that tier seven is going to follow the same kind of idea. Um, but this is only speculation at the moment. It's no definite confirmed, but they reckon it's getting announced tomorrow. Um, well, did I see Clyde, Clyde Banks saying that they were playing teams from Western Bartonshire? Or was that? Was that the latest thing on their Twitter feed that I saw? Well, clubs have been told they can't play outside of their region if it's the likes of East Renfrewshire, Western Bartonshire, Glasgow yeah. area, so they're not allowed to play friendlies before the season while they're under the current restrictions. Because um, I think Darvo had tweeted something to say that they're now looking to play a team in Airsoft, so they must have had a friend lined up with one of the affected areas. Uh, so, funny games, uh, no confirmed date yet. I would think, though, with the fact that the Lowland League may be starting on the 10th of October, that the West of Scotland F- Football League and the, the other leagues will follow suit. The Highland League, I've seen, are only playing a half season. So, you either play one team home and away. Um, so, everyone's doing different things depending where where they are. There's, there's no consistency of what's happening. You get the impression that a lot of these associations are just hoping that the season's finished and just see what happens. Because like what you're saying about the Highland League, I mean, they must panic at the fact that if they have a bad winter, which they will have, and if COVID strikes as well, you, you know, they're probably thinking, we'll just get at least one game between teams and then we'll just take it from there. Basically, the season's going to be finished with uh, folk playing FIFA to decide the title. Aye. Because you're going to be able to see people online. We'll be back to the start of lockdown. And you can't actually go and see folk. So just have a, a FIFA tournament uh, to settle it. 
But at I least there's progress of football getting started again at these levels as well. Mm. Because but I think I think the Lowland League might be better than a few of the professional leagues. Some of the signings they've made have been uh, really, you know, quite uh, startling considering that we are in the midst of a pandemic and. You know, some of the players that have dropped into the lower league could still easily play within the top leagues. We're not maybe not the Premiership, but certainly a few below that. East Cobra either did a good bit of business, I remember. Yeah. At the start. Um, I remember who they signed now. I remember speaking about it as well. Was it Paul Payton or something like that? Yeah, Paul Payton. Um New Zealand international strike was it striker? I can't remember who what his name was though. Um but yeah, there's there's been a couple of and a few other teams as well picked up a player here and there. At least I would imagine it was well with teams actually knowing when they start that will kind of make transfers yeah. happen a bit more as well. Folk will at least have an idea what they're playing towards. I think I'll, I'll, I think where they've probably struck lucky is that they have obviously healthy enough that they could make offers early and players are probably scared not having contracts elsewhere. And that's a big part of the reason for, for signing on, because they've at least got something coming in. Yeah, I think as well, there was talk a lot of footballers that were maybe like somewhere in between full-time and part-time football in terms of their level of that and capability, decided, right, because of the whole situation just now, I need to concentrate on my actual work and then go part-time playing football-wise. Mm. Sensible, least, really, when you think about it. they're getting that guaranteed income, whereby there was a bit of mm. uncertainty about getting contracts and different things. Well, exactly. I think um, so. Let me just have a quick look because uh, it was Chris Erskine, uh, Arian McKinnon, Scott Jim Sharple, Chris Erskine, Kyle Hutton, Paul Payton are all at uh, East Kilbride. Like so, Stevie Aiken, its manager there, that was at Dumbarton and the likes. But you know, to see Chris Erskine. Where was he last season? So he, he was at Livingston last season. He's got all the mm. way down there. Yeah, well, he started in the juniors at Coburnley. So, that's, I would have thought he would have gone back to Partick Thistle, but obviously they don't know what's happening. They're financially a bit unsure because they've got relegation um, where they probably hadn't budgeted for. So, quite surprised when they signed Ricky Foster. It's how he went there. I, I didn't realise that he'd gone to Bartlett. Yeah, Bartlett. I think, they've, to be fair, they've backed Ebico, but I think they just had to fully understand where they were going to be. So, and I hope they do well, because I think that was probably one of the biggest travesties of what happened in lockdown. You know, you're, you're, you relegate a team that had a game in hand and who were only two points mm-hmm. behind. It's just... Just I would have been a signer. Signer if you're a Partick Thistle fan. Not only just that, I mean, historically, they're, they're one of the, the better teams and they've got a decent fan base as well, you know. Not a bad wee stadium, so you want the teams in at least the top two leagues, you know. So, we are excited then, though, about domestic football starting again at the weekend. Uh, aye, especially after that, Scotland. <laughs> Carry on, eh? Um, so since we were last on as well, in terms of right to talk about what's going on, latest transfers and all that, so Shane Duffy's now signed for Celtic on loan. That hadn't happened last week. Quite. It was, so, please, Tony. Made up, to be honest, we needed a set of half. 
desperately. We, we really did. Um, I'll be interested to see how, how they play him. If he's if, again, he's keep part of a three-five-two, or he's going to be part of a partnership. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see Duffy. I watched him for the Republic Island against Bulgaria. He scored a good goal, um, and he had a decent, decent enough game. So I should should find quite well with the team. Yeah, um, I watched him a few years ago. He was at Everton, and it was a friendly against Motherwell, and he was one of their standout players. And then Yelovich, Naismith, uh, Pinar, and a few other really good players at the time. But he really did well. <laughs> Pace, I think, is going to be the interesting point if Celtic play three at the back. Depend, you know, with him and Julian, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they, they kind of work on that and how if teams get behind them or not. Um, but I think they did either all set their back. They've got somebody with good experience and who was doing really well at Brighton since they've come into the Premier League. So I think that's a smart move from Celtic. It's interesting that Israel, going back to the Israel game, Israel played both Beton and El Hamed at the back, mm-hmm. centre-back. It just shows that their players are more adaptable than what we've got, obviously. Uh, the other one is seen that's not there's been no movement as such uh, or at all actually but Ross County keep on having to knock back bids for Ross Stewart seems to be a few championship clubs interested in him I think I can understand why I think he's a good player I think I can see why they don't want to sell him especially if the offers aren't being uh, kind of what they would want to sell him for I think it's always good if a Scottish team if a premiership team in Scotland has that chance to knock back a couple of um, deals. Um, and yeah, I think start the season, but last season I think he's a really good player who probably deserves his move, but just probably has to wait at the moment. Yeah, County will be looking obviously the Dykes deal at Livingston and thinking we can maybe get something similar in terms of price for him. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's exactly what Ross County will be doing because you think about about six games into the season, um, they're not what to sell somebody for like peanuts basically, and then they've got nothing out of it. Plus, as well, they've got to think about have they got anybody to replace them? I, I mean, I, I may be a bit harsh, but for the laddie, I mean, he's, he's you'll not get that move to the championship. Maybe if it'd been a month, maybe two months ago, they may have said, yeah, we'll let you go because gives us a wee bit of time to get someone in, but. I don't. I don't think they'll, they'll sell them. I think they'll keep them. I think. I think they. They also look at the championship in England and see how much players are going for. And you can't help but think, well, if we're getting lowballed within a bid, then I don't need to accept it because they're selling strikers at twenty-eight million pounds. They only want it as that. Other things. Yeah. Villa from Brentford. Villa and the other other buying players from Peterborough for what was twelve million pounds. Yeah. Um, so, and there was the, the boy that went from QPR to Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. Um, 16 million or something like that. So, you know, you, you've got to, to get what you think your what your players are worth. And you know that they've got money to spend, and why, why rush and sell them? Um, and do you know what? A lot, a lot of these players aren't any better than some of our lower club team strikers, midfielders. I mean, and if you if you watch the championship players, maybe a wee bit faster, but very rarely do you watch a game and think 
yeah, he's worth 30 million. He's worth 35 million. You know, I think a big the money, a just player. the money that filters down, isn't it? The money yeah, that, that's it. I think, I think they may like they know that the Premier League is just absolutely spoiled in terms of money, and a lot of teams need that quota to be filled in terms of players that have been trained in England, and at the moment, certain teams, Newcastle, Villa. Uh, Crystal Palace seem to want by British. It seems to be their, their preferred choice. Um, so that all that kind of pushes things up. Um, but in, in turn, that's what Scottish teams should do, like Livingston did, is just hold out for, for the best possible deal and say, well, if, if, you, if you're doing that, then we, we could do that as well. We're, we're in no rush to sell our top players unless you're paying top dollar. Listen, they'll still get them for a fast, better deal than they will be selling players that the way they're selling players. So it's not as if they can't afford it either. Yeah, you just always hope that these clubs that sell to clubs down south have a decent sell-on fee, so that they get a wee bit more. I think they need to now. I think that's. I think that has to be um, written into every contract nowadays. Surely they're wise to that. Aye, I don't think there's many clubs that don't do that now. You know. Um, I mean, couldn't say. I mean, Celtic Rangers are doing it, so I can imagine every club in the Scottish League doing it to make sure they get some sort of selling clause. It's just yeah. a shame that Motherwell didn't get it for Seabury because of Wigan's financial problems. Aye, who is it? he's moved to West Brom. West Brom, aye. Yeah. You get some. That just shows you the. But he, 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 he had a bit of promise when he was at Motherwell. Um, I don't think there's really a pick it out that you could take from the Scotland games. However, Erlen Haaland, take a bow. Oh, aye. Oh, my word. That volley's got everything. He managed to get somehow a side foot volley swerve. Just this technique was unbelievable for that goal. Do you know what the thing is about this lad is? About a couple of years ago, I never heard of this boy. Never ever heard of him. And then all of a sudden, he came onto the scene, and I was like, I was like, wow, where, where's this lad came from? And then he, he's moved to Dortmund. And sometimes when a young player goes to a big club, they can maybe stall a wee bit, or they kind of go back and they, they don't push on as great, it's particularly in the first season. He's just went from strength you know, to strength and you know, gets better and better. Do you remember him destroying Hibs when he was at uh, Mulder? No, I don't. I honestly don't remember the lad. Yeah, I really don't. That's, that's when I first kind of noticed him when he absolutely destroyed Hibs in the a Europa League qualifier when Solskjaer was managing uh, Mulder. Yeah. The thing I like about him as well, he's a bit like Flint Pond at Celtic. You can tell the guy just loves playing football. Yeah, he's always got a smile on his face. However, he doesn't get he doesn't like getting interviewed. It's quite amusing watching him get interviewed. I've seen quite a few dominant different things like that, and he's a bit like Gordon Strachan and it's like stop asking me daft questions. Um, and, and in fairness, I think a lot of them get doctored those videos as well. So it's it's not as if he's he starts off that way. Um, he, there was one specific video, the famous one. And it was after like a seven minute interview, uh, interview and it was just like cut down to 30 seconds. And it, it, it was a case of, you know, I've interviewed 
plenty of people out. I've had uh, Sean Fallon, who is Jock Scene's assistant manager and who's captain at Celtic. It, um, and there was a good rapport there. He knew my grandfather and all the rest of it. But as somebody who has interviewed somebody, you know you have to ask questions to keep them entertained and keep them enthused in the conversation. And I always, when I always interview somebody, I speak to them before I put the camera on them just to relax them, just to get them to know me, for me to kind of suss out what they're like. And, you know, I've got no problem with how he deals with interviews in that sense. Because if it's a crap question, then surely that's it. You know, you, you'll answer it, but it's only you know, going to be a one-word answer. Uh, it, it should keep the, 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 the interviewer on their toes. Yeah, he's entertaining anyway on and off the pitch, and he, he certainly doesn't lack confidence either. He's a confident young lad. Um, but I, I certainly never had that physique when I was 20. <laughs> no, I've, n- I've never ever had that physique. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, I, I think we might actually managed a short podcast tonight going, uh, compared to the recent weeks. That's what happens, you've only got two games to, to talk about, I suppose. Aye, definitely. Um, so, thanks again, guys, for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. And we shall look forward to next week when we can hopefully have a more, more exciting things to chat about. Three-hour conversation. Yes. Right. Cheers, guys. Right, cheers. <laughs>